Right, Habakkuk chapter 3. Before Christmas, we were in Habakkuk chapter 1 and in Habakkuk chapter 2. And uh, we can be considering the question, how do we live by faith in dark times? Uh, We've seen that's where Habakkuk is at. He's living in dark times. I don't know if you remember Santa Paul's from a few weeks ago. He was helping represent the nation of Judah. And uh, when, when David was on the throne and when for the first bit of Solomon's reign, that's the high point of God's kingdom. Uh, things are going well. Uh, there's, there's great advance. And under Solomon's rule to start with, a great time of peace and prosperity. And, and then the nation starts to kind of, as it were, represented by Santa Paul's. You've got to imagine there's a staircase here and he's bouncing down the stairs. A whole load of different kings come. And the, really the direction of the nation is away from God and into sin and into rebellion. And, and sometimes when a king comes to the throne, a king like Josiah, for a while, it looks like things are on the up, actually. Josiah is making some, some reforms. The nation's heading in the right direction. And then another king comes uh, who does evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the whole nation is coming to the point where they're going to be in exile. And Habakkuk is living at this point here. The nation has been tumbling for a while. Uh, ungodly kings have brought it to this point. The nation's about to go into exile. And, and Habakkuk is living and serving God here. How do you live by faith when life is here? When it's dark? Because sometimes it's easier to live by faith up here. When everything around us seems to be going awesome. It's easier to live by faith when actually things are starting to improve. We can kind of see the signs of new growth and life and answers to prayer. This is going brilliant. But how do you live by faith there? This is where Habakkuk helps us. Um, in chapter 1, we saw that he... I'm going to just leave tentacles there for a minute. Um, chapter 1 is we spent time with the complaining prophet. Habakkuk had a complaint And in chapter 1, we saw him complaining. Oh God, how long will you make me look at violence? That's what he's seeing in his nation. How long are you going to make me look on this? How long until you do something? And then he's bringing another question. Why? Why are you idle? And uh, Habakkuk was bringing his complaint to God. But better to start there than not come to God at all. So he, he starts... He brings his complaint to the Lord. He asks his questions. He's honest. He starts to find some solid ground in that first chapter. Even when he's still got questions, even when he's not sure what's going on, even when God still seems silent, he's kind of saying to himself and to God, but this is what I do know. This is what I do know about you, Lord. This is what has been revealed to me. You are good. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. He, he starts to find solid ground, and then he's prepared to wait. Chapter 2, we spent time with Habakkuk, the listening prophet. He doesn't really speak in chapter 2. He's just listening to God speaking to him. And in many ways, his questions aren't answered in the ways that he would like. But God does speak to him. God does answer him. And God says, God has been saying, actually, I'm... You're seeing violence. Actually, I'm, I'm lifting up. I'm rising up. And even more violent people, the Babylonians, and they're going to come and they're going to be violent. And they're, 
but I've raised them up for this purpose, to bring correction on my people for wandering away from me. But no evil will escape my judgment. God will triumph, and all evil uh, will be judged and will be defeated, and the knowledge of God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what Habakkuk heard. There's a God who's in control. There's a God who's working all things out according to his purpose. There's a God who is good and just and will triumph. And now we spend time with the praying, the praying prophet. Can I read? I thought you read the passage yet, have I? No. Let's do that next. Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who are in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my, lip, my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently, for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful. In God, my Savior, the Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. So we've been considering this question, how do we live in dark 
How do we live by faith in dark times? How, how like Habakkuk, do we live when we're kind of right next to rock bottom? Or when the nation is right next to rock bottom? Or actually, rock bottom's hit. We're past that now. How do we live by faith there? And like Habakkuk, how do we pray there? How do we pray in dark times? Because, well, we might like to think it's easier. It kind of feels like it's easier to pray when everything's up here. Things in life around us, the nation, the economy, our health, absolutely everything is awesome. We can think that it's easy to pray there. Actually, sometimes we don't pray there because everything's fine. Intellectually, we understand that we need God, but our security is in the fact that everything's fine. So maybe actually it's not that easy to pray there. Sometimes it feels easier to pray when things are on the up, actually. We can think, actually, it's been a bit tricky, but things are turning a corner. There's light at the end of the tunnel. This is all looking a bit more rosy than it did last week. And at that point, yeah, I can feel encouraged to pray. But how do we pray here? How do we pray at the bottom of the staircase, having tumbled all the way down it? How do we pray in dark times? Habakkuk's going to help us. And actually, this chapter of the Bible has, through the ages, helped God's people. I read those bits at the very beginning and at the end of the chapter that sound a bit odd. We don't know much about the musical or poetic form Shigianoth. And what instruments did Habakkuk have? And who was the director of music? But what those things show us is that Habakkuk's personal prayer life went public and this became the way that God's people prayed in dark times. It was set to music on purpose. So that, and some even suggest it, that this became the nation's prayer at times of national crisis. So if we want to know how to pray during a crisis, if we want to know how to draw near to God in faith when everything's gone wrong and we can't really see light at the end of the tunnel and things aren't actually on the up, when really bad news has hit and then got worse, this is not necessarily the only place to come, but this is the place to come. This is the place to come to learn to live by faith. This is the place to come to learn how to pray. And this is what we see Habakkuk doing. Now, in a sense, he's been praying already. He was praying in chapter 1, but his prayers there were, why, why are you doing this? How long, Lord, until you do something properly? How long? You seem silent, to be frank. Why did this have to happen? Now, better to pray that, better to complain, better to ask those questions than not come before God at all. How do we pray? How do we live life in dark times? Well, we can follow Habakkuk, but we see how he went on a journey. That was his starting point. That, that wasn't just where he settled forever. And actually, God takes him on a journey. How do we pray in dark times? Well, we don't stop. Habakkuk didn't stop praying. When God spoke to him and he heard God speak, he didn't kind of think, thank you, Lord, so much. It's, I suppose I have to be honest. I don't understand everything, but you've satisfied me. And now that you've spoken, I can see that Good things will come at some point. 
that's put me at ease, at least for now. Until next time. Now, it, how do we respond, actually, when we get a prophetic word, either personally or as a church? When God speaks, yes, through the Scripture, but also in those moments when someone pipes up and says, I feel that God wants to say this. I feel that God wants to say this to you. And we're thinking, oh, yes, Lord, you've, you've heard me. You've answered my prayers. I can see now what you're doing. You've spoken about 2019. I can see where it's, you're going to lead us. Until next time. God doesn't break in. God doesn't speak into our lives so that we just feel secure again and don't pray. God speaks in order to refine and direct and equip us in praying. So when Habakkuk hears God, he keeps praying. And he keeps praying for his nation. He doesn't just think, well, I can see what's going to happen now. The Babylonians are on their way, and uh, we're just going to have to sit this one out. I suggest we start praying again in about 100 years when the crisis has passed. After the exile, uh, when we've got back and the temple's being rebuilt, that will be the time to pray. No, he, he, he prays. He keeps calling on the Lord. But notice how he's not arguing anymore. He's not, he's not questioning God. He's saying, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He knows there's an element to which God's wrath is coming. Because sin is getting judged. But he says, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. I can see that you are about a great work. I can see that you are in control. I can see that you do care. Oh God, break in again. Be at work in my nation. Again, how do we pray in dark times? Well, here's a few things to, to draw from the passage. We can follow in Habakkuk's footsteps. And like Habakkuk, we can recount, remember, look back on all that we know that God has ever done in the past. You look at this chapter, this is his prayer. Now he's, he is making a passionate request. Oh God, break in. But what's most of his prayer made up of? Most of the prayer, or certainly a big chunk of it, from verse 3 all the way through to verse 15, is God, you did this. God, you've done that. God, you came. God, you answered that prayer. God, you broke in at that point in our history. It might have been hundreds of years ago, but God did it. It's real. It happened. It changed history back then. We're living in the good of the fact that you broke in then. You did it, Lord. And it can sound strange to us because he, he's writing in a very poetic way. But he's going through, not necessarily in order, but he's going through major events in Israel's history. In effect, he's saying, God, you came to a people who were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And with a mighty outstretched arm, you rescued them from Pharaoh. You sent, it says here about uh, plague went before him in verse 5. Pestilence followed his steps. God brought about plagues that were judging the nation of Egypt. They came out from Pharaoh's tyranny and they, they were brought into freedom. Oh, but hang on a minute. They're being pursued. The chariots are after them and they've come up to the Red Sea. Well, Habakkuk's remembering, well, at that point, 
you spoke, and uh, uh, it says in verse 10, torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Someone suggests that it's like the, the sea lifted up its hands and surrender. <laughs> God, as you wish, we will step back. The, the waters part. God's people are walking through on dry ground until they get to the other side and the waters come back over. There's no way through. This is hopeless. We're surrounded. Hang on a minute. The water's just surrendered to Jesus. We can go through. That's, that Habakkuk's remembering. He's saying, the very fact that I live in this land, it's because you did that all the way back then. Habakkuk's reminding himself, these aren't just fables. These aren't just ideas. These aren't just myths and legends. This old book shows me what God has done. These are facts. I'm remembering the facts of what God has done. It speaks of other things. He says in verse 11, the sun and moon stood still in the heavens. You know, that happened in the book of Joshua. To enable God's people to pursue their enemies, the sun stood still. That day was longer. You can read about it in Joshua. It says about the glint of your flying arrows, the lightning of your flashing spear. God sent a hailstorm. Actually, that's what defeated most of the enemies on that particular day. God on the move. God at work. He says, you saved your anointed one. Maybe he's talking about David, who would become king. David, who faced Goliath. The whole nation was in hiding. Here's this massive enemy who opposes God. And everyone's terrified. But what happens? With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as they're about to devour. That happened. Goliath, with all his threats and weapons, he died. God defeated him. God rescued his people. It re references other enemies, Cushan and Midian. It says God broke in. in. In in Gideon's day, God broke in. Time and time again, God has broken in. God, the Holy One, on the move, bringing His presence, the cloud of His presence that went before the people and led them through the wilderness. What awesome deeds! What an awesome God. Habakkuk is praying now focused on God. When he, was, when he was complaining before, his focus was on the crisis. His focus was on the problem. His focus was, what, was on what was going wrong. This is, this is helpless. This is hopeless. God, the violence, the injustice, the problems, the issues. What are you doing about it? That's, that was Habakkuk in complaining mode, fixed on the problem. Now, he's not ignoring it. It's not, it's not unreality. He's not pretending it's all gone. But his focus has changed. He's beholding God. The focus of his prayers is, God, this is what you've done. This shows me what you're like. You know how to deliver people in crisis. You, you know, Lord God, all that you're doing and how this big story knits together. And you might think, 
But if we pray like that, does that make us just a bit detached? Does that make us a bit cool, a bit, a bit cold? You know, if, if, are we ignoring reality and just fixing our eyes on God, ignoring the present and just looking back to ancient history? And what do we say to people like Habakkuk who might be living through really, really dark times? Well, I'd like to see just something else from what we learn from Habakkuk. Because what Habakkuk is doing, it's not just putting on a brave face. He's not just like, ah, I see. God's sovereign. Everything is going to be all right. There's really nothing to worry about. It'll all turn out for the good. He's not just putting on a brave face, a courageous air. He's not pretending to be strong. Because what he says shows us how did he react himself when he heard God speak? It says in verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. You don't decide that your heart is going to pound. It happens. Maybe when we hear devastating news, when the rug is pulled right out from under our feet, we're living life right down here. We've heard some bad news, and then the situation gets worse. My heart pounded, he says. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. That was his physical reaction to what was happening and that was his physical reaction when he heard God. This isn't like the man of power for the hour at all. And sometimes we want living by faith just to look like that. I've heard God and I feel strong. Living by faith happens down here when we don't feel very strong. And we've been absolutely knocked off our feet, but we have heard God. And we do trust God. And we do believe Him. If we think otherwise, we get even more discouraged when we start to shake like a leaf like Habakkuk did. This isn't what people of faith do, but I can't stop. No, this is what people of faith do. People of faith don't deny their weakness. We don't deny our, our frailty. We don't pretend there isn't any bad news when there is. Or there has been. And we can't just say to ourselves, and we shouldn't say to other people, just pull yourselves together. God's still on the throne. Sort yourself out. It's okay to live here Get to know God better through the process of actually shaking like a leaf. If we've heard bad news and it's got worse, or we've heard bad news and it's about to get worse, got to have a way of living by faith then. Faith doesn't just work when everything's awesome, and it doesn't just work when things are looking good. It does work here as we follow him. It says of Jesus, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, that going a little further, he fell to the ground. Do you think Jesus was living by faith that night? 
Yes. Do you think Jesus was praying and trusting God in a really dark time? Yes, I think he was. But it says that he, going a little bit further, he fell to the ground. He could say to his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It wasn't like, that's just applicable to you guys. He knew the flesh is weak. He also knew the spirit is willing, but he knew, knew what it was to tremble. I don't think he was looking forward to what was about to happen, but I think he was trusting God in the midst of the darkest nights. Paul can write to the Corinthians and say, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Do you think when Paul arrived in Corinth, he was living by faith? I think he was. I think he believed that through the gospel, people in Corinth would come to faith, that there would be a church of believers in the Lord Jesus, and that God was on the throne. I think he believed that. And I think he was trembling as well. Something in the situation of coming to this massive anti-God city made him a bit scared and trembly. But he trusted God. He believed God. So a life of faith doesn't mean we won't tremble. We might shake like a leaf. Let's not pretend to be fine in the sense of just putting on a brave face. We don't have to look like a hero. We don't have to be a hero. We need to trust God, even in the darkest times. C.S. Lewis wrote uh, in his book, A Grief Observed, talking about his own experience of grief when he experienced devastating news, changing his life. He said, he writes in that book, no one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. I keep swallowing. Other times it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed. He said, that's what, that's what it felt like to lose somebody that he loved. That's what it felt like to receive devastating news that wasn't just going to suddenly be taken away with a wave of a magic wand. It's real grief. And sometimes what can happen is we can just think to respond like that isn't faith. But if we've received devastating news, we might experience something similar. Jesus did. Paul did. Habakkuk did. They trembled whilst living out their faith. What else do we learn about praying in dark times? As well as recounting God's greatness and all of his works, as well as recognizing his own physical reactions and trembling, it says Habakkuk was rejoicing. Or, at the very least, Habakkuk was committing himself. I will rejoice. I will be joyful. Let's just remember, by chapter 3, nothing has changed around him, in the nation, circumstances. Nothing has changed since he started praying. How long? Ugh. Things weren't looking on the up. There was nothing encouraging about his present situation. There had been no positive changes. And this is how he puts it. 
in verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud. And there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. He was praying at this point. He was praying down there. No buds, no grapes, no food, no olives, no sheep, no cattle. We might think, okay, what do we make of that? Well, maybe, maybe actually, for some here, now, or even the future at some point, we might be at that kind of point. There's no food. I've got nothing in the cupboards. I've got nothing to put on the plate. What am I going to give my kids? For some people today in this world, that's their situation. No food. How does faith work there? For some of us, it may be different. We may have food in the cupboards, but for us it may be extensive. Well, there's actually this year, with how things are panning out in the nation, there's no pay rise, there's no bonus. There's no foreign holiday. Not now. There, there are no luxuries. There are no treats. There are no sweets. There are no new clothes. There's no deal with the EU. Let's imagine. Maybe we won't have to soon. But anyway, there's no economic growth. There's no investment. There's no pension. There's no savings. Maybe it's different. Maybe it's there's no friends, not in my class, not in this school. Maybe it's different. There's no recovery. He didn't make it. There's no healing. It's not all gone away. Just there's no change. At that point, Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice. What's that about? What do we learn from that? Is Habakkuk being real as he lost the plot? Is this a cruel joke? Is this what God expects? What, what, what do we learn? Where do we go here? Well, in the horror of the situation as Habakkuk understood it, even in the midst of all the angst, and, and, and here in this chapter as well, he has drawn nearer to God. This isn't, this isn't cr cruel. This is knowing him better. You know, Jesus shared that, that parable, didn't he? That story of uh, the man sowing seed. And he sows seed everywhere in his field. So some of it goes on the hard ground. Some of it goes on rocky places. Some of it goes uh, in areas where there are thorns and thistles, other things growing up. And, and, a, and a lot of the seed goes on good soil. How does Jesus explain the rocky stuff? You remember that one? Well, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 16, explaining the rocky soil, Jesus explains, Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, 
they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Notice that Jesus says, when. When trouble or persecution comes. Notice that it isn't an if. It's coming. I don't mean to be too bleak. Uh, D.A. Carson writes, all we have to do is live long enough. Do you remember this one? All we have to do is live long enough and we will suffer. You might be thinking I'm being down, but that is true, isn't it? (laughs) All we have to do is live long enough. And if we've lived a charmed life, maybe that hasn't quite hit home yet. Um, All we have to do is live long enough and and we will suffer. So how how does it work there? Well, where there's this rocky soil and the roots haven't gone that deep, The plant didn't fare that well. The encouragement is, go deep. (laughs) Habakkuk, in drawing near to God, has gone deep with him. That's what we've already seen as he recounts all that God has done in the past. This is who my God is. This is what my God has done. And so he can say, I will rejoice when there is no food in the cupboards, there's no pay rise, there's no job, there's no foreign holiday, there's no luxuries, there's no treats, there's no new clothes, there are no wedding bells for me, there's no pitter-patter of tiny feet, there's no deal with the EU, there's no economic growth, there's no investment, no pension, no savings, no recovery, there hasn't been a healing yet, yet I will worship the Lord, yet I will worship God, yet I will be joyful in Him, and it's not a farce, it's not a pretend, it's not super spirituality, it's not being unreal, it is being real. Why? Because I've gone deeper with the Lord and I'm remembering that there is no condemnation and there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. And there is a God who's on the throne. That means that when I join with him in glory, then there will be no tears and there will be no pain, there'll be no suffering, there'll be no temptation, there'll be no sin, there'll be no sickness there'll be no conflict there'll be no angst ultimately there'll be no questions there'll be no arguments that's the god i know that's the god i trust those see we've got more reason than habakkuk not less we have more reason to rejoice because actually there is more that we can look back on and say, look at what God has done. For, for Habakkuk, it's kind of focused mainly around the exodus, God bringing his people out of captivity. But for us, we can go, do you know what? After the exile, God did take his people back. Even though the temple got smashed, God saw that it was rebuilt. Even though that more trouble came, God sent his son. At just the right time, Jesus came. And we see him full of grace and truth. Grace upon grace. We see his life. We know he died in our place. We know he was raised to new life for our justification. We know that he ascended into glory and he sat at the right hand of God. And we know that he sent the Holy Spirit. And we know that he's building his church. And we know that he's coming again. And we know that he's at work right now. This is the God who knows how to move in power. He has not forgotten. He's not stumped. He's not feeling awkward. He's God. And he's at work. We don't get to choose when we were born. 
We don't get to choose what part of history we get to live in. This is it. Good bits and bad bits. But we get to live knowing him, trusting him, walking with him. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. If I look at where exactly we might be in the history of the nation, I don't really know. If my faith is just built on whether something seems to be going a bit better at the moment, that faith is going to get tested. It's going it's to get tested. But there is a God who's on the throne. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and produces no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I have reason to rejoice. Not in circumstance, not just in what prayer has got answered this week, I got reason for joy. I got reason for joy that the world knows nothing of yet. Because of him, because of God. So my encouragement to you, let's go deeper with him. There can come those, but when trouble or persecution hits, in which direction am I going to go? Am I going more into him or am I starting to pull back from him? Sometimes pulling back can look really extreme. I don't believe him anymore. He hasn't answered my prayers in the way that I'd hoped. He's, he's let me down. There can be the kind of extreme pulling away that's obvious. There can be the subtle stuff. Well, uh, he disappointed me. So I'm not... I will pray, but I'm not going to pray about that anymore. I'm not going to pray in the same way. With the same. Look, he, this is passionate prayer. Let's not pull back. Let's not be those who just think, that's it, I'll just downgrade my expectations of the kingdom of God now. No. Let's be, now, maybe we don't need to hear this right now. Maybe this is all stuff to store up for another time but are you storing it up better to go deep now than wait for the crisis to hit and try and, and just save it up for then by god's grace he'll help maybe the crisis hit a while ago and sometimes when that happens we are sustained by god partly we're sustained by adrenaline With devastating news hits adrenaline kicks in Everybody knows about it. They're all praying. So we're getting kind of strengthened by that. We're being carried. And maybe it's not right at that point. Maybe it's like six months later. Oh, this is still really hard. Oh, this hasn't actually changed. There's still no buds. There's still no grapes. There's still no olives. Still no change. Now, maybe people are still praying for you. Don't blame them. But maybe you're not in their, on their radar in the same way. And it's right there. The crisis has passed. Everyone thinks you're fine. And that's the time. Oh, God. My faith has got to go deeper. My roots need to go deeper into you. Habakkuk does that by reflecting on the word of God and all that God has done. That, that's our, he's our strength. This is our strength. Let's go deeper with him.